Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're gonna be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you gonna get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to and so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Deidre Olson, freelance journalist in Toronto. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to meet you in person. Likewise. Today we're going to talk about the Vice Admiral Norman case. That went well. Very well. And serial killers. We love talking about them almost as much as we love disparaging their victims. Mm-hmm. Glad to have you here for it. Thank you. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Reva Seth, Adam Nickel, John Gemmel, Barbara Cron, Darren Carlson, Jeff Pellick, Brandon Lefebvre, and Susie O'Brien. I support Canada Land because we listen to a bunch of different news sources in my house, and it seems that only Canada Land is trying to cut through the boilerplate slogans of people in power and the polite journalism that allows those slogans to stand mostly uncontested. I also appreciate that Canada Land's guest contributors have the backbone to challenge Jesse and to offer additional insights that we just don't hear from the established media outlets. This episode is also brought to you by Hover. Building one's online brand has never been more important. Deidre, don't you know? You are a freelance journalist. Yeah, uh, my shit posting brand. 
Do you have a website? What is your URL? DeidreOlson.com. You got your name.com. Yeah, That's excellent. Yeah. I don't have jessiebrown.com. There's an outdoor supply store in like, I don't know, Virginia or something. And Jesse Brown there has, he's got my URL. I've got the CA. Oh, that's unfortunate. Well, I mean, I guess you could throw like the middle initial in there or do the .ca if you want to be edgy. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, when you've got an idea, if it's your name, whatever it is, your online brand is important. You need the URL. And Hover is the place where you want to get your domains from. It's the place where I got domains and email before they were a sponsor of the show. It's where I went because like the GoDaddies of the world and companies like that are, uh, what's the word? Gross. They're gross companies in their marketing. They're gross companies in their practices. They try to upsell you. Hover doesn't do that. They believe that people who listen to the show might be interested in a .me domain. Is that an insult? Should we be insulted that they think that? Nevertheless, at Hover, it's the place to go. Get 10% off of all domain extensions for your first year when you go to hover.com slash CanadaLand. Deidre, you have written up your take on this particular piece of reporting in not just the National Post, but it ran in papers across post media. But it also plays into like larger trends that are kind of disturbing. And you've uh, you've provided a thoughtful piece of writing on this. Can you give us the background here? What prompted this? Absolutely. So my friend was Andrew Kinsman's neighbor and I saw her post a tweet of a headline that read Bruce Kinsman. And I was like, what, what's that mean? So I read further into it, um, and it turns out that a National Post article had come out with a poorly copy-edited headline. And the story just so happened to be about newly released records detailing that Bruce MacArthur's eighth and final victim, Andrew Kinsman, that in his personal life, he was interested in serial killers um, and serial killers that fit the profile of Bruce MacArthur. So it was an entire story built around one man's interest in true crime. And I suppose, you know, the irony that he just happened to be killed by a serial killer after the fact. It was particularly awful because the headline had mistakenly said Bruce Kinsman. And the full headline that originally ran was Bruce Kinsman was fascinated by serial killers before he became Bruce MacArthur's eighth victim before they corrected it to Andrew Kinsman. Mm -hmm. But it was hours and hours and hours that the headline stayed up on the Ottawa Citizen and the Vancouver Sun. I don't know how many other papers, but it was you know, like it it was all day long, despite people tweeting at publications saying, can you please fix this? This is very offensive. It reads like you're saying that Andrew Kinsman was a co-conspirator of Bruce MacArthur or somehow culpable in his own death. And I think that one thing that you brought our attention to is that this kind of plays into a lot of stereotypes and prejudices around gay men and like the idea that his fascination with serial killers is like, well, we can distance ourselves from that. It's like, well, I'm not that, I'm not fascinated with serial killers. So it kind of like dehumanizes the victim who then they kind of insult as well and just like actually conflating his name with Bruce MacArthur's in the headline. Exactly. I want to, I'm not playing the devil's advocate in this. I think that you make a really salient point. And I think that there's a cause for introspection here. I'm also just aware of how this story is getting reported and how any story of this magnitude would get reported. Like the background of this that you can decode from reading this piece by Adrian Humphreys, who's a, um, you know, career crime reporter. There was a legal challenge brought by Post Media and other media companies to unseal court documents. Like there are so many reporters on this story. This is a major story. 
It is not a story where the police have offered a lot of transparency and the media is doing what it should do in trying to get as much information as possible. That's our job, right? It is also a story that has international attention. It is also a story that is invariably going to be turned into movies and shit like that. And there is a race on for like the gory details. And aside from this question of like how we depict gay men when they are victimized in this way, which I think actually plays into why this happened in the first place, like as a certainty, it was all going to get reported. You know, it was all coming out. Mm -hmm. I think it's a question of editorial packaging, you know, like I think it's like it's like context and framing. And in this case, yeah, the copy itself is kind of lurid and like trying to draw this connection. And then the headline just takes it like often headline writers are like, can I distill this into its essence? And then they go too far or they get something wrong. And then I think it just gets really gross. So this was sort of like like it's a terrible story. Yeah. But it made me think about like I think you can commend Canada for the Canadian press doesn't do the glorifying killers thing as badly as the States, right? Like my first experience in a news organization, I guess you could call it that. I was an intern when I was 16 at Q107, uh, the time Toronto's classic rock, I think. And I was in the like mailroom. I was the mailroom boy. And like I found a stack of pages that was a transcription of everything in the Hamulka Bernardo uh, videotapes. Oh, wow. Everything that was under publication ban that the media never ran. And I was like traumatized. Like I, I was transfixed. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I read every word of it. But I was like, I can't believe that this is like, like you think that this would be a movie. And, you know, we don't have videotape or even audio tape in courtrooms. We don't have a Hollywood machine that makes movies out of these people. Sometimes like I think they made some kind of a shitty movie of Bernardo eventually. But it doesn't like, you know, I just watched like the Ted Bundy thing on, on Netflix. Exactly. And this guy, like, you know, he was a narcissist. He loved the attention. He might have gotten off on the attention as much as he got off on the crimes themselves. And here we are, like, paying him off, yeah. you know, after he's dead. Mm-hmm. And 30 fu- years after. Yeah. And further disrespecting his victims who are just mm-hmm. always treated like dirt in these. in these. But, like, I guess it made me feel like, huh, you had me scratching my head. Like, you're right. This was a terrible story. But, like, what? What's going to happen and what should happen? Like, we can't go back to those days. It's not like there's too many true crime podcasts. There's too like people are now like killing people live on the Internet. Like, you know, I don't know. You really actually got me trying to figure out what the best. Yeah, I think there needs to be more conversation about the ethical consumption of true crime, because there's the kind of true crime that digs into oppressive corrupting police and justice systems and forces us to reconcile with that and look at why people are put in jail and incarcerated for decades when there was little to no evidence and it was a bias by a racist police and justice system and you know it was a person of color it was a black man or you know in the case of serial it was Adnan Saeed we were looking at those forces and it made us like critically think about the justice system. I mean, that is a, a powerful thing mm-hmm. to communicate. And then there's the kind that gawks at the salacious details of, you know, terrible things that have happened, you know, romanticizing a white serial killer as, you know, charming and handsome. And he had us all fooled and he was killing these poor, nameless, faceless women. They're just dead women on the side of the street. And then we blow up these images of these men and sexualize them and make them sexy and glorify them. So I think there's I think it it forces us to reconcile with this ethical consumption and to look at, you know, 
we can editorialize this, we can package this, and we can feed into narratives. You know, we imbue meaning in the things that we write. It has huge consequences on public perception. So if you're writing a story and you're coming up with this, you know, expose of Andrew Kinsman's interests as, you know, oh, he shared the same interests as a serial killer. Well, there's tons of people out there that are you know, strangely fascinated with serial killers. The whole society. This that, is like that doesn't the most turn... mainstream genre you could possibly imagine. You know, it's like it's not like a weird quirk, but like, look, I'm of two minds. I mean, I agree 100%. Like, Justin Ling's doing a good job of like, well, mm-hmm. like, if you want to look at the Bruce MacArthur story, like predators target the vulnerable. They target people who the police aren't going to care about. So let's have a conversation about that. Let's have a conversation about how it was Andrew Kinsman, the white victim, who led to him ultimately exactly. being... Like there's an ethical way and you can you can kind of purpose people's salacious interest towards actually engaging with real topics. You know, we try to do that. I think that's, you know, at the same time, like I'm just I'm a storyteller, right? Andrew Kinsman has a fixation with serial killers that might have gone beyond what most people's interest was based on the Adrian Humphrey story. It seems like it did. He makes friends with Bruce MacArthur, who seems to share the same interest and then becomes his victim. It's like a bingeable Netflix show that's writing itself. Like, like that is going to be dramatized. Yeah, like, I yeah, just accept the inevitability yeah. of that. It's going to get reported. I'm not mad at Adrian Humphreys for like, yeah, I'm going to write about that, you know? Yeah. I'm sure he's mad at his headline writer for that gaffe, but it's more than that. The story was not respectful. No, no. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I feel like we need uh, some kind of like guide for best practices or something around this stuff. We need like, yeah. like we need to start this conversation anyhow. Yeah. Like there was the Sean Cribben Global News interview and he was someone that escaped Bruce MacArthur. And, you know, it's it's like it focused on the horror of what he went through, not how to make a safer place for gay men to engage in you know, consensual, casual encounters, some of which may be rough sex. And I think that for me really drawed a line in the sand to be like, you know, the media wants to gawk. Yeah. I mean, there's an opportunity here because like we kind of fall into tropes when we're not willing to like have a conversation about like, yes, somebody had consensual rough sex. They still don't deserve to be a murder victim. Exactly. It doesn't make them any more acceptable as a murder victim. You know, like, are we, are we, can we talk about that now? Like, if this person's willing to discuss the fact that, like, they don't have shame around the fact that they pursued sex like that, like, do they deserve the same protection from the police and the same sympathy from, like, they probably do, you know, like, exactly. There's actually an opportunity to kind of like broaden our understanding of humans. Exactly. No person's, you know, interest in dark humor, love of serial killers, or interest in rough casual sex makes them culpable in their own murder or deserve to die or more likely to be murdered. You're familiar with our feature, Duly Noted? Yes. Where we note things duly? Mm-hmm. I would like to duly note why I have to be such a dick. Jesse, do you really have to be such a dick? I'm actually glad you asked. Allow me to explain. I am talking about last week's show about the Simpsons episode on Newfoundland. It would be so insulting and patronizing for a person, namely me, to purposely provoke and incite a group of people, like carefully identifying their sore spot, hitting that nerve on purpose. And then when, surprise, surprise, they get offended, how insulting and patronizing and disingenuous would it be for me to say, oh, I'm sorry, did I hurt your feelings? I'm sorry for doing that thing that I totally intended to do and that I totally will do again. But, you know, it's convenient for me now to apologize. So uh, I'm sorry. I cannot apologize. I have too much respect for Newfoundlanders to give you a disingenuous apology, even if that is the strategic move that would make the most sense for me because I'm getting dragged so heavily on Twitter right now because I did make those comments and I made them on purpose. I absolutely did not do it to get attention. 
this was bad attention. We lost money because of this. We lost patrons. I didn't do it to get ratings. We didn't have a big ratings boost. Newfoundland, not so big for the hate listens to give us a big boost. I didn't do it because uh, I'm against Newfoundlanders and I get my kicks by insulting them. No, here's why. I willfully provoked on this topic because it's my job. It's my job to call bullshit on bullshit media stories. The media story, the bullshit media story that we see again and again, different versions of all the time, year after year, is headline, Newfoundlanders angry over use of term Newfie. That is a bullshit media story. And that is what the majority of Newfoundlanders who spoke up, not about my show, but about the Simpsons episode, that is what the majority of them had to say, that they don't really care about the Simpsons episode, that they have better things to worry about than the Simpsons making fun of Newfoundland. And, and you know, some said, sure, yes, uh, that they find the term offensive, depending on how it's used and who's using it. But like they don't consider it to be a sacred term or a forbidden term to non-Newfoundlanders. And a lot of them actually said that they were kind of embarrassed by the people who do make a big deal out of this. And I think that they were, if they were offended by anything, it's that the only time the media gives a shit about Newfoundland is to tell this story of Newfoundlanders being offended by the term Newfie. Okay. So that's my job to point out bullshit media stories, but I totally went further than that. I totally uh, said other things beyond that. I also had some words that were specifically aimed at specific people that I was trying to offend specific people. Here's what I'm talking about. Every time this gets brought up and they do that bullshit media story. They need some Newfoundlanders who will say, yes, this is the most important thing to me. I'm super offended. Nobody can use the word Newfie. And invariably, you will find people who will equate it to the other N-word. Okay? And they want the same status for Newfie as the other N-word. They want it to be treated the same way. No one's allowed to say it except for us uh, saying it to each other. And I hate that shit. I hated that shit when the Quebec separatist movement used it. Oh, uh, we are the white N-words of America. I hate it now when this new American white nationalist, white supremacist movement uses it with this uh, erroneous, ahistorical claim that the original slaves in America were actually white. They were Irish indentured servants. And uh, we should think of them as being mistreated the same way. And like, I hate that every time that it is used, that, that false equivalency, when black people are used as a prop where in order to kind of like get across just how badly you're treated, like they were treating me as if I was a black person. Can you believe it? Me, a white person being treated that way. And so I hate it when it's used in Newfoundland in that exact same way. And I don't think that many Newfoundlanders at all do that. And I am sure that most Newfoundlanders hate it too, probably more than I do, because it's embarrassing for them in a way that it is not for me. So that's what I was responding to, okay? People who think that Newfie should be like the N-word, that is an offensive and extreme absurdity, and I very consciously responded to it with my own offensive and extreme absurdity. And that was for me to say, well, if you think that being from Newfoundland is the same thing as being black, then I guess you're sort of equating some sort of racial or ethnic aspect to being from Newfoundland, like you're a race of Newfs. And unlike being black, you've actually got this land claim associated with your ethnicity because it's like specific to Newfoundland. And so what I said is that if you believe in the sanctity of the term Newfie, then you want Newfoundland to be an ethno state. Oh, God. <laughs> you can imagine uh, the yeah. week that I've had since. So I can't apologize for offending those people. I meant to offend them. I'm glad I offended them. I hope I did. But other people were offended for sure. There were people who thought that what I was saying was that anybody who's offended by the term Newfie is a racist who wants an ethno state. That's not what I said. And I don't know what to tell you. 
Like, can I apologize for you getting your feelings hurt because you thought I said something that I didn't say? Like, I'm sorry that you don't know how to listen to a podcast? It's called satire. You know you know what? I can do better than that. I can be better than that, Deidre. The fact is, I, I'm a communicator for a living, okay? And I miscommunicated to those people, right? Like, what I was trying to say is not what they heard. So whose fault is that? Is it just their fault, as I was just suggesting? I can take responsibility for that. I think that I have just explained myself much better than I did last week. I just explained myself a lot more expansively and long-windedly. Um, but no, nevertheless, I did not make myself understood last week, and that's on me. So yes, there were some people who felt that I was directing uh, my comments at anybody who is offended by the term Newfie. Listen, you should be offended by the term Newfie. It is intended to offend. And it's particularly offensive because it was a way that an overclass derided and disparaged and dehumanized an underclass. And uh, yeah, you're absolutely right to be offended by that. Uh, and you're also okay to not be offended by it. There are some Newfoundlanders who spoke up to say, I have no problem with this. It's not a deal to me. That's fine too. Both of those things are fine. You don't need my permission for either. But there were people who, yes, I hurt with my words who I did not intend to offend. And uh, for that, I absolutely apologize. I do. Julie noted. What do you have for us? Well, I have something that did particularly, you know, piss me off a little bit. There was a lot of, you know, like a Twitter storm, a lot of public discourse surrounding 420 Vancouver's 25th year anniversary event at Sunset Beach in Vancouver. Which is? Which is like the annual, you know, smoke pot. It's uh, <laughs> it's the Vancouver equivalent it's, where we take pictures of people with huge novelty splits. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. You know, it has a lot of meaning for a lot of people um, in terms of like the fight to legalize cannabis. You know, there's a lot of medical patients that go there that still strongly feel that it's a protest. It's turned into like a pretty huge animal to the extent that 150,000 people attended this year. The controversy has been, you know, at this point, is it a protest or a festival because, you know, recreational cannabis is legal. You won, hippies go home. Exactly. And they had a headliner. They had Cypress Hill playing. It's like, you know, again, is this a festival? Is it a protest? Should the Vancouver Park Board be giving this event a permit? What is the impact on parks? So a lot of the discourse was surrounding this distinction between protest and festival, the impact on parks, and if they deserve a permit. What was absent from the conversation was cannabis culture's legacy being up for debate and the sexual misconduct allegations. Cannabis uh, culture being the organization cannabis culture, not cannabis culture. Exactly. Is it? Yeah. Exactly. So this is Mark Emery's. Mark Emery's cannabis culture at 307 West Hastings. Yeah. Uh, in downtown Vancouver. Which you've been public about uh, bringing to public light the many allegations, including your own. Precisely. Prince of Pot, Mark Emery, for uh, sexual misconduct. Exactly. So it bothered me that absent from this conversation was, you know, rather than having a conversation about how you're going to cement this event, why isn't the entire legacy of who's running it up for debate? Because many of the people that are running it are legacy staff members of cannabis culture. This includes CEO Jeremiah Vandermeer. This includes Dana Larson, Jody Emery herself, who has come out in a Toronto Life article saying that the allegations are fabricated in her own words, insisting that myself and other women are fraudsters and liars on her personal Twitter page. And then they gave him, he was allowed to have a booth at the event itself. Emery was. Yeah. You know, uh -huh. in, a, in a place with thousands of young women, uh, many of which of teenage girls. And then he was brought out on stage himself and dubbed a legendary activist. 
I know people that were there and personally booed. I watched the live coverage. It was a, you know, it was a mixed bag of reactions, but it just seems strange for so many people to be talking about how this event is run when they should be talking about who runs it and what is that in light of sexual misconduct allegations? What does it mean that these people that have are actively calling women liars and are still running this event and are bringing this man on stage and are making him a central piece of this event? What does that say? Why aren't we talking about that? Duly noted. Dear God, I have one more. I'm so sorry. I have a third duly noted for today. Uh, I'll keep it brief. I want to duly note that the Green Party exists. It does. It's <laughs> it does. In, it's, it's inconvenient for those of us in the media. We ignore them at every turn, but they do exist. They do. In fact, they just got a second seat in a by-election in uh, Nanaimo, Ladysmith. And, um, you know, this prompted uh, Green leader Elizabeth May to tweet, I wonder how CBC feels about forgetting to mention Greens in their coverage the day before the vote. Ooh. It was also remarked that Global News in BC shut the Greens out of a political panel. We've caught up, though. Once the Greens got their second uh, seat in Nanaimo, there was a story in the Star about this uh, Green victory. It did not have in the picture the person who won that seat, Paul Manley. It had a nice, beautiful wedding picture from Elizabeth May's wedding. Of like, yeah, and like her husband's looking to become a candidate. And so I got confused because I was like, did her husband just win? No. No. No, he didn't. But it does make it easier for us in the media when there are wedding pictures. Because, like, come on, everyone loves wedding pictures. So they should just do that from now on. Mm -hmm. Duly noted. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems... And just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Dear God, Deidre, Vice Admiral Mark Norman, have you been following every detail? Because I know that I have not. Uh, A little bit here and there. 
I can't think of a story that we have made it more difficult for the public to get their fucking heads around. I can't like it really has been a slog. And now it's done. It's done. And we will never actually know what happened. Yeah, it seems like an attempt to not have another SNC-Lavalin blow up in the liberals face. I think that that is like you can kind of like ignore a hundred other things about it and arrive there and you pretty much have the gist of it. Yeah. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to nutshell this. Will you indulge me? I will. All right. Let me tell you a story. Okay. It goes back to uh, the Stephen Harper conservative government. One of the last things they do on their way out is they fucking well make sure that this Davy shipbuilding company gets this $688 million contract. No competition on the bid. This company is going to do it to basically retrofit a ship into like a floating gas station. And our Navy's in terrible shape. There's fires. They need this thing. Mm. And it's a little stinky that, that you don't have people competing on the bid. And at the time, that might have been a scandal. We'll never really know what the ins and outs. Maybe it was a good move. We won't know because like a ton of records and emails amongst the conservatives about this disappeared. Were destroyed. Just magically. Yeah. So the Trudeau government comes into office and they're handed this thing and they get a complaint from the Irvings. You know who the Irvings are? Apparently a powerful family. Mega, well, they own like New Brunswick and, okay. and they have extensive liberal party ties and they have a shipbuilding company and Scott Bryson, who was in the liberal cabinet at the time, he is very Irving family connected and uh, he is involved in some process whereby a complaint is registered that the Irvings are not happy about okay. the single source contract and the liberals decide that they're going to put a pause on this deal for 60 days. Now, Vice Admiral Mark Norman, the second highest ranking member of the Canadian forces, was not there when they decided this, but catches wind of it and also is aware that there will be some huge, what is it, like a $58 million penalty. Mm -hmm. Taxpayers are going to have to eat $58 million bucks if the Davy contract goes kaput. Yeah. And he doesn't like this and he feels that there's oh, allegedly he doesn't like this and allegedly he feels that, that this Irving thing is like the fix is in. And he is accused no longer, but he was accused of leaking to Davey. But he was already talking to Davey because they were working on this thing. But also he was accused of leaking to James Cudmore, who at the time was a reporter for the CBC. With me so far? Yes. James Cudmore reports this. It's embarrassing for the liberals. Now the liberals basically feel like, oh, fuck, we're forced to just go ahead with this Davy contract. Turns out to actually be the right thing. Davy like, delivers on time, on budget. That almost never happens. But they're pissed. Somebody leaked. They want to know who. And totally unprecedented to go after, like, the vice admiral of the Canadian. Like, they, and they go after him dirty. They lay charges against him, charges that are usually for, like, corrupt officials. Like, as far as we can tell, mm -hmm. whatever he did... He was just doing it because he thought this was a bad deal and that there yeah. was something corrupt happening. He, he didn't profit from this, as far as we can tell. And they deny him legal aid, which usually if you're getting sued and you're in the military, you're supposed to get legal aid. No. So he goes and hires Marie Hanane. And this part's delicious. They start to refer to him in code names in their internal communications so that Marie Hanane has trouble getting records. They call him c 34 which is very clever because he was the 34th commander of the Navy. They call him MN3, Mark Norman, and then three, he's a, a three-star admiral. They call him the substantive VCDS. I guess that's their play on the notorious BIG. He was the substantive vice chief of defense stuff. The boss, <laughs> very cool. And this is my favorite, the certain naval officer. Oh, that's very certain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are the pseudonyms. Those are the code words that have emerged, and that's how they talk about him. And they're going after him with everything they've got. And what does the Liberal Party do? They hire 
CBC reporter James Cudmore away from the CBC and he goes to work for the Ministry of Defense. Like, as a journalist, did you think about that for a second? Imagine, like, you're, like, the whistleblower who's, like, you're in at Philip Morris and you're secretly, like, tipping off a journalist about all the dirty deeds at Philip Morris and you're trusting this journalist. And then the journalist is like, yeah, sorry, uh, I now work for Philip Morris Tobacco. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. So, you know. Must have got offered a lot of money. I interviewed James Cudmore shortly after this. He says it has nothing to do with anything. He was not even in job talks at the time. Everything is clean here. Nothing to see here. This sort of thing happens all the time. Sadly, it kind of does happen with some regularity. In any event, all of this is hurtling towards a trial where, yes, they want to put the screws to Vice Admiral Norman, but in doing so, all of this communication between, like, the prime minister's office is going to come out. They're, like, withholding the files from Marie Hanane. And then, early this month like a week and a half ago, we find out that member of parliament and former member of the military, Andrew Leslie, is not going to be seeking re-election. He's leaving the Trudeau government. And he's going to take the stand in defense of Vice Admiral Mark Norman. Yet another Trudeau MP defecting and possibly saying embarrassing things about Trudeau. And then this morning, we're recording on Wednesday, people are hearing this on Thursday and beyond. This morning, we find out they've dropped all charges against him. So we will never know We'll never know no. any of this. No. And the the payoff for people who've been following this more diligently than you and I is like, you know, because the last thing they need right before the next election is another case of a major Canadian company with deep liberal ties exposing how everything got all intertwined and fucked. It just brings up yeah, SNC. exactly. You know? It's not something that you want going into a federal election campaign. Now, of course, this is denied. The Crown, in their statement this morning, uh, this has nothing. This is, you know, as soon as we feel like there's no reasonable prospect of conviction, we drop all charges. Uh, there was no political interference whatsoever. So we can all rest assured that that's how it went down. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? You know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Is there, like, a bit of a trend? Are we, like, it's becoming so clear that these kinds of things happen all the time. It's just the way of doing business in Canada, doing the business with Ottawa. And the only time we ever find out anything about it is when something weird happens, like someone's principled with Jody Wilson-Raybould or with Norman, it seems like, oh, they don't understand how the game is played and they end up just getting destroyed. Or in the case of like Duffy, it's like someone is venal and like was sort of implicated, but wasn't getting their fair share of the goods. So they decided to say something or make, make a stink. And then there's just like the forces to just hush it up and shut it up are just so strong. And then we'll just move on. Like now it's going to be done like, like, like this week. And then we won't hear about vice Admiral Norman anymore. And they can go on with whatever Trudeau image rehabilitation they have in mind. before. Yeah. Because if it did get out, you know that it would get dragged and dragged and dragged and dragged, just like Jody Wilson-Raybould, you know that it'll just turn into, you know, a cyclone of disaster and it will just spread across the Liberals' federal election campaign and it will get dragged until the end of time. So they're going to use everything within their power to shut it down before it gets to that place. Allegedly. Allegedly. Did you? Thank you. Thank you. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that gets sent in here. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Deidre, where can people find you? You can follow me on Twitter at Deidre, D-E-I-D-R-E-L Olson, O-L-S-E-N, Deidre L. Olson. Go to our website, canadalandshow.com, where you can read Deidre's piece about Bruce MacArthur and the wider issues at play. It's well worth the read. We also have an episode of Oppo up this week. Oppo is the show you want to listen to because we have an election coming in this country. And Oppo tells me things I don't know, this time about uh, why so many Canadians have guns. 
check that out on this week's episode of Oppo. This episode is produced by David Crosby. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, if you want to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, please support us on Patreon and we will get you that. Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. We do need your support. We do rely on your support. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.